Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys today? Come on, somebody. Let's hear it from the third gathering today. Yeah. I love, I love, I love this third gathering because you guys are more awake than the other folks and you're fired up. Maybe it's because it's close to lunch. I don't know. Maybe you've already eaten lunch and that's why you're fired up. But whatever the case is, you guys are awesome. Those of you joining us online, thank you so much for being part of our service today, our, part of our family. Matter of fact, would you guys here in the room give it up for all those guys over there? Give it up for them right quick, would you? Yeah. We're one church. We just meet in a bunch of different places. And so uh, we're so glad that you're here today. You know, tomorrow is um, the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and it's such a big day uh, every year. San Antonio makes a, 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 as big of a deal about it as any, as any place. The, the, the march downtown is, is amazing. But I was thinking about him. I was thinking about the legacy that he left us, the, the dream that he had that is still ongoing, obviously. But I was reading, I was thinking about something that he said one time, in, in, in relationship to where we are as a country right now, as a, as a people group. And, and, and I want to read this to you because it's so, so, so important. He said, we, we need leaders. Remember, this is like in 63. We need leaders not in love with money, but in love with justice, not in love with publicity, but in love with humanity. Leaders who can subject their particular egos to the pressing urgencies of the great cause of freedom. A time like this demands great leaders. And you know, our, our instinct, and in after having hear, heard that, is like, start to think about political leaders, and start to think about educational and scientific leaders, and we need all of those realms, but I think this is a much more personal thing that he was calling us all to, and that is that we, you and I, have to lead in our homes, and we have to lead on our jobs, and we have to lead in our neighborhoods, and we have to lead in our cities, and we have to lead with humanity and compassion and kindness, and I'm trying to imagine how great our world would be if all of us felt the weight of, of that call to, to being great leaders, and I think it starts right here in our homes, and I think it starts, I can't imagine a better way than even this week, we're praying from six, uh, 7 to 7.45, 7.35, Monday through Friday, that, that right at the beginning of the year, we'd start out as spiritual leaders, amen, somebody, do you believe that, that that could make such a difference in our world today, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, if you're if you're if you got a day off, let me hear from you. Come on, where you at? Yeah, yeah. Some of you do. The kids do. The students do. Um, anyways, it's going to be a great day. Um, so, the series is better than normal. Um, and by the way, that's not arrogant. It's literally called better than normal. I'm like, like, hey, man, I'm better than normal today. All right, it's better than normal. And what we're talking about, we started this last week, is. This notion that someday we're all going, man, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And what we mean by that is the time before all this stuff started going down in last February and March. And we're, we're talking about stuff like, man, I, I can't, and I heard some people say it today in the lobby, man, I can't wait till we don't have to wear masks, you know, to go to church or to, you know, to go to HEB or, or, or wherever. I can't wait until we don't have to wash our hands until, come on, they're all cracked up and dried up. This morning I squirted some lotion because it was like, what are those things? You know, they look like tree bark. And like, like one squirt and it just disappeared like before I even had a chance to rub it in. That's how dry it is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I can't wait until we don't have to do, oh, well, we should probably always wash our hands. Come on, y'all. That's just a principle of life. Fellas, as you come out of the bathroom, just stop by the, any, anyway, stop by the sink. It's just a good principle in general. 
the dudes are like, why are you calling us out? Well, because I go in there and I see what, ha- anyways, um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna move on. When we talk about getting back to normal, that's not what I mean. I'm all for all that. I mean, I think I can't wait for that too. Um, but what I'm talking about, but it's something better than normal is, is in terms of the way our faith, we handled faith, the way we handle what God's word says and how we respond to it, the way that we handle money, the way that we handle our relationships, the way we handle how we work and, and our schedules. I, I think in some ways the loss of normal in those terms might actually be a good thing for us um, because it could lead to a better normal. So, so what is normal? This is, how, this is how we're describing it. Normal is a standard that people conform to. It's the usual, it's the typical, and it's the expected. And so it's like this is what normal people do. This is what the social norms are. And, and, and the issue with the norms is that they change all the time. And so what was normal five years ago, ten years ago is not normal now. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes I would argue maybe it's, it's not good. And so we'll measure ourselves. We'll, we'll affirm ourselves by, well, most people do the thing that I'm doing. Or it's normal that to have a lots of credit card debt because that's what most people do. It's, it's normal to struggle as a, in, in marriage because that's what most, most people do. And we'll use that to uh, affirm ourselves. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that it, as much as it feels safe, right, to want to just be normal, just to fit in, blend in with the world, with the crowd, with whomever, that it may not be the safe or the wise thing to do, that maybe, maybe normal in some ways is a trap. And I think that we can learn from the teachings of Jesus that God has not called us to be normal, to conform to the standards of, of, of whatever everybody else is doing. Because Jesus says, Jesus says, the thief comes, just as John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember that. That's the plan of the enemy of your, of your soul, of your life. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, or the old King James, have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus wants for us. And I, I'm going to say that my goal is to convince all of us, here it is on the screen, that we were not born to be norm. Come on, can you say that with me? With me? Ready, ready, ready? We were not born to be norm. That you will not get to your best life. The life that God imagined for you long ages ago, Ephesians 2 says, when he created you, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says, you will not get to that life by taking your cues from, quote, normal people, from the social norms, that the life that you actually want, the life that is life to the full, is going to be counterintuitive to what most people in our culture, in our world, think. And it takes courage to live that life. You're not born to be norm. Now, I know it feels safe, and you've been thinking this since you were a little kid, to just blend in around you, to everybody around you. But if normal is so good, why isn't it working? Come on. Why isn't it working? If, it's, if, if the social norms are the way things are supposed to be, why aren't they working, somebody? So key verse here. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's preached all this stuff about what it looks like to follow Jesus, what that means, what, what it actually means. He's giving us practical things. He's funneling at the end of the sermon in Matthew 7, which is what we're reading. He's, he's saying, look, not everybody's going to choose the way of Jesus. Some people will. And here's how he, he really expresses it best. And when you see these yellow words, would you say them with me? Enter through the 
narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to, say it out loud, destruction. The easy way, the normal way, the broad way leads to destruction. And then he says, ready? Many enter through it, but, here's the contrast, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. The easy way, the way of the crowd, the way of the world, the way that everybody else does things, he said it leads to destruction and a lot of people are going to choose that way, but the narrow road, the small gate, can you leave that up please? The, the narrow gate that leads to life and only a few find it. And you and I have to decide, are we going to be part of the many? Or are we going to be part of the few? It's, 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 it's really a challenge, I think, that God is issuing to us right out of the gate this week. Now, this verse, leave, leave it out for me. This verse um, is Jesus, he's talking about himself here. Because like he says later on, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Like, he's talking about himself. He's talking about nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets to God except through Jesus. Um, by the way, that's why there can't be many gods because Jesus says the only way to get to God is through, through Jesus, right? And he's talking about salvation, that the gospel is you gotta go to Jesus. You can't be good enough. You can't do, you can't do enough good works. You can't believe the right things. You have to believe and trust in Jesus. That's the narrow way. But... As it's part of a broader text which is describing a life, a way of life. And Jesus is saying there is a way of life, the way of Jesus that is better than the normal way. So choosing the way of Jesus when it comes to our faith and our finances and our, and our relationships and all of these things require, for us to get off the broad road, it's going to require change. And it's going to require a change of perspectives. This is what we talked about last week. If you, if you missed it, go back and listen. A change of perspective, a change of priorities, and a change of patterns. Those three things are critical. So now, you're all caught up. Today, I want to talk to you about money. And everyone's like, oh, come on, man. I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't talk about money. Don't talk about politics. But all you guys are out there on Facebook and everywhere else talking about politics and everybody's yelling at everybody. So I'm going to talk about money. Change the topic. Come on, somebody. Change in the topic in the room today. You know, it's interesting. I know a lot of churches have checkered path, uh, reputations when it comes to money, TV preachers and whatever. But what's interesting is how many people, when they're having an issue in life, that's it's seemingly unrelated to money and they come to talk to somebody at the church about it and this has been my experience over and over again that when you dig down to the root of their issue it's a lot of times it's about money it's money issues how things are going with with money the pressures that money bring to marriages and homes and and so we uh ha by the way we have a life group launching here soon soon called financial peace university from dave ramsey if you're struggling in your finances i can't tell you of a better way then to jump into that, we have people here who are financial planners that did that for their career, and now they're willing to sp spend time with people and help them. I'm not a financial guru. What I know about the money, money comes from the Bible, comes from Dave Ramsey and Andy Stanley. Come on, that's a good, good collection there. I want to show you what normal is, because this is us talking about normal and then something better than normal. You with me? Everybody with me? All right, so this is what normal is. This is from the Federal Reserve. 
which is a government institution, and uh, GoBankingRates.com, which says that they got most of their information from the Federal Reserve. So average student loan debt in America is 20000 to 25000 which, which equals $1.5 trillion in, in outstanding student loan debt. That's, that's right now. Uh, average credit card debt per person in America is $6,814. That's quite a bit of money. Uh, average auto loan uh, that we take out to buy our car is 32000 and some of us have two, three, four cars. And so that equals $1.32 trillion in outstanding debt. Next one, please. Um, average household income is $57,000, so our car costs thirty-two, dollars but we make fifty-seven. dollars Okay, anyways, do the math. Uh, average savings, this is what's in your savings account. 34% of Americans have zero in savings, and 69% have less than $10,000 in savings. Now let's go into retirement, which is different than savings. 34% of Americans have $0 in their retirement accounts, and 69% have less than $10,000. A lot of the same uh, math here. Keep going for one more thing. 58% of Americans say that their personal debt will keep them from reaching their financial goals forever. They'll, they'll never reach it. And then 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, meaning that they have no emergency fund, fund, and if they lose a paycheck or two or three, they're in deep trouble right immediately. All right? So that, some of you go, yep, that's, I got some of that going on in my life, um, and I get it, right? That, that's normal right there in our country. That's the standard that many of us are conforming to. That's the broad way. That's the wide gate that Jesus was talking about. That's a picture of normal when it comes to how we in America handle our finances. But I think we could just look at that data and go, wait a minute. Normal isn't working. And if we just keep going that way, what kind of trouble are we going to get into? And here's the thing. Some of you would say, well, Danny, um, Man, the crisis has caused my, my finances to look like this. But this data was from the fourth quarter of 2019 before the world went into the crisis that we're in right now, right? So crisis is, is an accelerator. It always brings up what's already there. So this picture that I've given you is actually worse now than it was in the last quarter of 2019, which is why it's so important that Paul taught uh, the Roman church in Romans 12 too, and I'm reading this from the message paraphrase that we, we read last week. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture from norm, right, the normal, that you fit into it with what? With what? what? Without even thinking. Like, like, oh, this is what we do? Okay, we're all just gonna go this way. Or this is what the new social norms are? Okay, then that's what we're gonna believe. That's what we're gonna do. He says, don't do that. Not without even thinking. Instead, here's the alternative. Fix your attention on God, on the ways of Jesus, on the teachings of the Bible. You'll be changed from the inside out if you do this. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Meaning if you realize I'm on the broad road when it comes to my finances, quickly get off of it and get on the narrow road. It'll be hard. It'll take a minute, but it's the better way. Somebody, Can, you, can I get a good amen from somebody? It's the better way. We can keep doing what everybody else is doing or we can make changes and live better than normal. Now, before I continue, I just want to, I have to say this. I know that in 2020, um, a lot of people were devastated financially. People have lost jobs, including people in this room. People have lost their businesses, including people in this room. I've talked to people after church today who would say, who said, yeah, that's, that was our story. People have lost, at the very least, some percentage of their income and so there are some who would hear this today and think, man, he's talking about me, and, but it was beyond my control. Like, like, if that's you, I just want to say, 
if you're having to deal with the meltdown of your job or your career, uh, I want to tell, tell you how sorry I am and, 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 and really how much compassion that I feel for you right now because it's, we all have so much to deal with in our world right now. To have that on top of it is a lot, and I know how challenging that might be for you, and I just want to say, when you hear me talking about this, I'm not indicting anybody. This is not to make anybody feel bad or anything. This is life-giving. I want to give you something that the Bible would say is life-giving because what we're talking about is before the meltdown is how we were handling, and that was normal. What I showed you was normal before, and there's a better way. Um, so our relationship with money and possessions and the attitudes, what I'm talking about is not money like dollars and cents. I'm talking about the attitudes, the thinking about money has to change our, 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 our priorities, our perspectives, our patterns have to change. And the good news is Jesus taught us how. The Bible is filled with teachings about money. I, I want you to think about this. Money is such an important topic in the Bible that it is the main subject of nearly half of Jesus' parables. Half, almost half of the parables, these stories that he would create to teach people about life and, and about the heaven, about salvation, uh, half of them almost are about money. I in addition, in your New Testament, which is that second half of your Bible there, one in every seven verses deals with money, possessions, or the attitudes that surround it. The Bible offers 500 or so verses on prayer, a little less than 500 on the topic of faith, and more than 2,000 on money. 2,000 verses on money. In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus taught, 15% was on the topic of money and possessions, more than his teachings on heaven and on hell combined. And when you study what he had to say mon about money, it would be like, that's weird, man. What he said about money, that's weird. It's, it's definitely not the broad way, the easy way. It's, it's, it's the narrow way. But, but why does the Bible place such an emphasis on money and possessions and the attitudes around it? Because here's what Jesus says. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. But, but here's the thing, and I say this from my own personal experience, from my wife. We're this Sunday, next Sunday, a week from today, 23 years of marriage. Come on, y'all, right there. Give it up for my wife. She's put up with me for that long. I'm a lucky man. I know I am. People remind me all the time. My dentist is always like, because she's her dentist too, she's like, so Danny, uh, how did you, how did I get my wife? Yes. The last time she brought these, the girls, these other girls in, she goes, hey, see this guy? And I'm like, hey, y'all. And she goes, have y'all seen his wife? I'm like, what am I? I'm right here. I'm right in front of y'all. You're jacking with me right here. Anyways, I get it. I get it. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. All right. But here's what we would tell you, and here's what a lot of other people would tell you who trusted Jesus, that no one who applies what Jesus said about money to their personal finances ever regrets it. Listen, I won't get a lot of amens on that because most people haven't done this, but the people who have, they don't regret trusting Jesus, what he said about following him with their finances. And so we say this, this next thing a lot of time, I got it from Andy Stanley, but we say this a lot of times, following Jesus will make your life better 
that make you better at life. The narrow road, the small gate, getting on that will make your life better and make you better at life, and that includes money. And listen, it's gonna be counterintuitive. It's gonna be weird to people. But again, if normal is so good, why isn't it working? My job is to say, hey, there's a better way, and I wanna show you what it is. I'm just gonna give you some principles today, altitudinal principles, like big picture things. If you wanna know how to get free of this and do better than that, join the groups, man. Get, go read a book, go download podcasts. But I wanna give you big picture things because as the Bible says a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Like what comes out of your brain, what comes out of your heart is gonna be the direction and I wanna help change that. So here, here's the first one. Money always wants to be more than money in your life. It's like when, those of you who remember back in the day when you were dating a girl or you were dating a guy and they were kind of starting to get serious but you weren't really yet and so they'd be like, hey, I, we need to talk. And you'd be like, oh, here we go, right? And they would say something like, hey, I don't want to just hang out with you anymore. I want something more. And that's how, that's how money is. Money wants to involve itself in every part of your life. And, and, and money will, when it does this, it creates stress and pain and pressure where, where none should be. That's true. So uh, I had the opportunity growing up to travel to many places in the world. Um, starting when I was young, my parents were missionaries in Kenya, uh, East Africa. We lived in a city called Nairobi. I spent two years of my life going with them as they, we would travel around from village to village, from little town to little town, spreading the gospel and going from village to village. And it was incredible showing up to, pe to a place where they had never seen anybody who looked like me. This was back in the 70s. Like, and so the people would come up and they would be like, Mazongo, Mazongo, which in Swahili means white man, white man. And they'd never, a lot of times they'd never seen somebody that looked like us. And the first thing they would want to do is touch my hair. And, and I'd be like, if I had known then what I know now about my hair, I'd have been like, hey, while your hair's hands are there, would you lay hands on me and pray for it that it would prosper and live long? Come on, somebody. Prosper. I don't, I don't remember what you do, but prosper right? What was it? Oh yeah, prosper and live. Anyways, um, Star Trek or, so, I, okay, whatever. I don't even know. But, but going there, and then as an adult going to places on mission in Haiti and Costa Rica and the Philippines and Panama and Honduras, which we did last year, and other places where deep poverty is present, the, 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 the sheer joy that people had when I was growing up, that people have now while not having much materially was kind of confusing to my brain. We've gone to Haiti, we've seen, we've been in their houses which are so small and most of the time dirt floors but yet so neat and the pride they have in having you there as a guest is, is incredible. I saw it again last, last, last year in Honduras, the peace that you would feel there, the joy that was there. For, for, from my American kind of concept, seems hardwired to think that happiness is, is possessions and money and accomplishments and stuff. There's a sense of why are they so happy and why do they, why do they have so much peace? And of course, that's such an arrogant and small-minded way of thinking. But, but here's what I've arrived at. Here, here's what I've arrived at. Um, there is zero correlation between true peace, true happiness, and money. Listen to me. There, you're like, 
well, you just haven't had enough yet. No, 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 trust me. There's all kind of research that's gone on this. There's this thing called the World Happiness Report, which, which says that over the, and they've been doing this for I think the last 12 years, that as income climbs, happiness is plunging. Every year, the, happiness, the overall well-being of, of, of the world is going down even the, as our incomes keep going up. There's no correlation. And, and in other words, you, you can try as hard as you want to, but you will never squeeze a drop of peace from a stack of money or stuff. It'll never happen. But it is normal to think that money can buy you peace, can buy you fulfillment, can buy you really anything of lasting value, and that's why money wants to be more than money and wants to be more than money can ever be. So Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, and he says this, for the love of money, now listen, nobody's saying money's bad. Money's good. It's a tool, though. It's a tool for doing good things in life. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and notice this word, they have pierced themselves with many griefs. They've done this to themselves, the broad road, the, the easy road, the normal road where people love money and possessions and they, they rank themselves accordingly by what they have, climbing ladders, spending, hoarding more and more for themselves. This has led to the picture that I showed you earlier of what's normal in our country. And we've all seen this, and, and many of us have experienced pain and grief associated with thinking more, more, more is where it's at. And, and the love of money can sneak up on you. Because like if I said, do you guys all love money You're like more than God? You'd all go, no, no, of course we don't. But this can sneak up on you without you even realizing. All right, all right, here's, the, here's a for instance. Take two people. Say, say one of them is a spender, man. They're like spend, 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 buy, 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 acquire, acquire, acquire. And then take another person who is like the opposite. And sometimes those people are married to each other. Can I get an amen, right? You're like, elbow, I told you he was right. You know, I'm not saying which one's the best, right? But anyways, somebody super frugal and saves everything. And it seems like these two people have nothing in common, but they do. Because there's always a root to behavior. There's always a reason why we do what we do. Both of these people are trying to use money and possessions to feel valuable and worthwhile. Both of them. Although they're doing it in totally different ways, they love money because they think it's going to make them feel valuable, worthwhile. And what that means is most normal people can't help themselves. They will look to things, money, possessions to do what only God can do. Here's the next principle. It's huge. Maybe the biggest one of the day. Money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Here's the thing. You would say, yeah, of course, Danny. Of course that's right. If I were to ask every one of you in the room, those of you work, watching online today or whenever you're going to watch this, um, do, is money the meaning of life? 100% I think would say no. Of course not. Of course not. It's family. It's, it's God. It's, it's, thi- you know, it's friends. It's experiences. And yet, we don't judge the way we think about things by what we say. We judge what we think about something by what we actually do. And the way that we do things in America would say money is the meaning of life. Right? I, I think that Jesus talks about money and possession so much, not because he needed any. As far as I can tell from the reading of the text, he never once asked anybody for any money. W- was he fixated on it? No. But he knew that we would be. So he talked about it. 
And, and I, think if, I think if Jesus were here to do a money talk with all of us today, I think he would say, hey, y'all. Maybe, maybe he wouldn't say y'all. I don't know if he'd say y'all. Maybe he would because we're here. He'd say the most addictive substance on earth is money. He knew that money wants to be more than money can be. And he'd go on later in Matthew 6. I want to read it for you and describe it as master. He says, nobody can serve two masters. And we'd stop right there and say, well, he's talking about God and the devil. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about at all. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, say it, money. What? But here's, here's what he knew. He knew we'd be tempted, all of us, to make money more than it's supposed to be. And, and, and the, re- the way that money can become master is when your spending exceeds your income, you become a slave to a bank, to a credit card company, to a financial institution, to a car company. When your, inco- your spending exceeds your income, the Bible would say you've been mastered by that. Are there seasons of life where bad things happen and that's true? Yeah, but I'm talking about when that becomes normal. You with me? Everybody with me? I'm, I'm trying to help. I hope I'm helping somebody. He also knew the, pu- the, the, the power and the pull of money and how easily it could take godlike status in our lives, idolatrous status in our life. So he would talk so strongly about it. So this, this text is part of a larger text. So this is from Luke's gospel. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just so you know what the context is here, the Jewish tradition was the inheritance, all of it went to the oldest brother. So if you were the younger brother, you'd be so ticked off. And so he's like, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I feel like Jesus was like, man, look, yeah, thank you, man, you can say it again, man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Next part of the verse, here we go. Then he said to them, would you say this with me? Watch out, exclamation point, say it, say it, ready? exclamation point, right? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, meaning there's many kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of money. It's not all about money, and what he's saying is money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life, but watch out. Be on your guard because you will be tempted to make it become the meaning of life. Jesus uses strong language. Watch out. He doesn't do that really anywhere else. You, you know what's interesting? He talk about, he's talking about greed here. What's interesting to me is I've never met anybody who would say, man, I've got some money issues, and you know what the real problem is? I'm greedy, <laughs> right? Nobody does that, right? They're like, man, it's my job, or man, I didn't know that this air conditioner was gonna go out like that. that that's why I have money. Nobody ever says, you know what my problem is? I'm, I'm just greedy, right? And that's not universally true, but, but a lot of times, That's the issue is greed has led us down the normal way and we have pain and destruction. We've pierced ourselves with many grief. We've uh, we've walked down the broad way and we've we've been met with destruction. And so greed is insidious, meaning it sneaks up on you. You Nobody says, hey, I've got a greed problem. But here, let let me couch it in these phrases. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. When you start thinking about it in those terms, you can see why it can sneak 
up on, it, on us because it masks itself as felt needs, like I need safety, I need security, I need more money so I can be respected, so I can be admired, so I can have peace. There's the broad way, that's the broad way. And there's the narrow way. Many are gonna choose the broad way. Jesus says, only a few are gonna go the narrow way. So I wanna finish these last few moments with three illusions. Remember, I'm just giving you principles. I'm not taking you down into the weeds of all this. I'm just giving you principles. Three lies, three illusions uh, that money can give us. Number one, that more money equals more peace and more happiness. We've already kind of dealt with it. That There's all these studies, but I want to take you to the Bible now. Here's what the wise man Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has what? Enough. And, and, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, and that's just true, and we've seen this over and over, and I've seen this. The more money you make, you tend to spend more money, and so you feel, it feels like no matter how much money you have, it feels like you never have enough. Like, like if I had told some of you that 15 years ago that in 2021 you're gonna make whatever you make now, you'd be like, say what now? I'm gonna be rich but you don't feel rich right now. What did you do along the way? What did we all do along the way as we made more? We spent more. We just do, because that's like, hey, we got more, let's get a new truck. Hey, we got more, let's get a new car. Hey, let's get a bigger, the old house is fine. Hey, we, we, this kitchen, it's got a perfectly good running uh, dishwasher, and, and we got a good refrigerator, and there's cabinets here. You know what? Let's tear it all out and put some new Let's put a new refrigerator and some cabinets and a dishwasher in there. The other ones work just fine, but let's rip them out and do a new one. We did it too. Come on, I fell for it too. How many of y'all know it costs so much money to replace your kitchen? Okay. Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. It'll cause problems in your marriage. Come on. Come on. Don't do it yourself. If you're going to do it, hire somebody and yell at them instead of at each other. Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? somebody anybody changed their kitchen out recently? All right. Nobody in here has. The people who have, they're on the broad road that leads to destruction, right? All right. Uh, I got to finish. One more from Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon. Enjoy what you have rather than dreaming about what you don't have. Can I just stop right there? If we just did that, how, many, how much better would we be? How many times have we been dreaming about something, talked ourselves into it, figured our way to make the payment, even though we couldn't afford it, but we could make the payment. So we think making the payment and affording it are the same thing, but they, come on, they are not. I didn't get an amen, but that's all right. I'm saying amen to myself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Danny encouraged himself in the Lord. All right, um, all right, I, I gotta move on. M- more money. Let me finish this. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Meaningless. Next one, more money equals more security. So this, we talk about financial security. We talk about financial freedom. The the study that we do is called financial peace. Very big distinction there. So Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy, back to him again, the same chapter we read before, he says, Paul, P- Timothy, Timothy's a pastor of a church and Paul is his, his mentor. And he says, hey, Timothy, when you're preaching, I want you to tell the people in your church, command those who are rich in the present world, meaning they have more than they need, uh, to be, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so 
underline this word if you have your Bibles, uncertain. And those of you who've been living since 2008 to now, it's uncertain. We've seen it over and over again, right? But to put their hope where? In God, who richly, I love that word, richly provides us with everything for our what? God's not trying to get your money. Come on. He wants to provide you with enjoyment. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, when you talk to church people, people who sing the songs, people who are clapping, people who are standing when they say to stand, not everybody does. Some people sit down, they're like, whatever. People who, who have put their faith in Jesus, he says, I want you to tell them, listen, listen. As you get older, as life, as you start to grow up, as the blessings of God start to come into your life, uh, you start to settle in. Here, listen. Please don't believe the lie that money can provide you with security. Please, as God blesses you, don't start moving your hope that you started with in Jesus to your possessions. Instead, I want you to do good. I want you to, can we go to the next part? Is there another part here? Yeah, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous, willing to share in this way, in this way where they think they're laying up money in their accounts and all of that and and nobody's condemning savings and retirement. Believe me, that's not what this is about. It's just not putting your trust there. Can I get an amen, somebody? It's not putting your trust there. In, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is what? truly life now if I can get a a big house and a bunch of cars and some extra stuff that's that's the American dream that's life no it's not this is this is life so so whenever you see the teachings of Paul he's always echoing something that he heard Jesus teach and it's Jesus who said in Matthew 6 we've already been here don't put store up treasures on earth moth and rust can take it away from you thieves steal it Put your treasures in heaven. And that's what Paul is echoing later on. Don't make it about money. Money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Instead, think about money as a tool to do meaningful things in your life, through your life. Money doesn't bring security. Wise man Paul, uh, Solomon says in uh, Proverbs 18, the wealth of the rich, he says, is their fortified city. They imagine They imagine it, a wall too high to scale, but it's not. They're only imagining. It's a myth. Last one, more money equals more generous. You know, when I get more money, I'll be more generous. It's normal to think that, hey, when I get more money, then I'll give more of it away to charity, to to whatever. The problem is, is it's not true, and there's data all over the place that says this, that proves this. As a matter of fact, it says that lower income people will give a higher percentage of their money to charity, to, to, to causes, to churches, whatever that is, than higher income people do. Studies say that the more money we have, and this is not universally true, it's just generally true, the more money that we get, the less empathy we feel for people who don't have much. We don't care about the causes of the poor, which Jesus told us to care about. The issue, of course, is principle. People who live by a set of principles They will do so no matter what else is happening. They will do so when they're making this much. They will do so when they're making this much because they live by principles. They're wise in that way. So the idea is if you're generous with 40,000, you're likely to be generous also with 400,000. But the reverse is true as well. 
This is why Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's like, yeah, that's just what preachers say to take up offerings and that's just what the Christian bumper stickers say. No, 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 Jesus meant this. You're gonna find more joy, more peace, more fulfillment by being a giver than by being a consumer. Consuming gives you a temporary thrill. Making a difference gives you an eternal thrill. Practical, just real quick, real quick practical. Five, five things that you can do with money. Hang on to that verse, just hang on to it. Five things you can do with money. Think about it. You can take your money and you can spend it. You can take your money and you can pay back debt, things that you've borrowed, things that you've put on a credit card. You can use your money to pay your taxes. You can use your money to save. You can save some of it or, and you can use some to give. So you can spend it, think about it, spend it, repay debt, pay taxes, save it, give it. Five things that you can do with money and I would argue that in America that's the way, we, that's, that's the order. Spend, pay debt, pay taxes, save, give. But Jesus, ever countering our culture, ever being counterintuitive, says, let me, let me can we flip the script on that? Because there's a better way than that. Here's what he says in Matthew 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, and all the other things that you worry about, that you stress about, that you fight about in your relationships, he's gonna add those to you. He's gonna give those to you. Your father already knows what you have need, Jesus says. So, Andy Stanley uh, pastors a ch- an amazing church called North Point Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and, and, and beyond. He, he, he talks about, uh, in, in several of his teachings and his books, about what he's been teaching his kids about money, and many of them, they're grown up now. He says, what I taught my kids, and I want to show you. He says, what I taught my kids, and this is exactly what he says to them, I want you to give, save, live. Can you say that with me? Give, save, live, in that order which is the exact opposite of the normal way. And, and he, he's like, give first 10% because he believes in the tithe. Save some, save 10% retirement, whatever, every, every check, take 10% of it, put it somewhere safe, and then live on the rest. And th- these are his percentages. You may have to adjust those. You may, you may not agree with those, and that's, that's the deal. But I think the principle, like if you take all of the practical teachings of the Bible, there are some big picture things, but if you take the practical parts of the Bible and summarize them, I think this is it. Give first, save some, live on the rest. Do this for a length of time. Like, like I tried it that one week, man, it didn't work out. Do it for some time. This is the teaching, this is the way of Jesus. This is the narrow way. It's counterintuitive. It's weird, but do it for a length of time and, I, and just see. See if at the end of it that you're part of the people who say no one who follows the teachings of Jesus when it comes to their money ever regrets it. See it. God says in Malachi, test me in it. Try me, he says. So I'm gonna pray with you and we're done and you can go do whatever you're gonna do. Father, thank you. The word of God is is powerful. It is sharper, the Bible says, Paul says, than any two-edged sword. It it, it divides, it cuts away the nonsense and the lies and the half-truths. And it shows us ourselves clearly, James says, like a mirror 
We look into it. Some of us will choose to just walk away forgetting, James says, what we saw. But others of us, few of us, according to Jesus, only a few of us will say, you know what, I need to change my perspective. I need to change my priorities. I need to change my patterns. The broad way, the easy way, it's leading to some pain and to some destruction, some chaos in my life. It's creating uncertainty in my life. And gotta hear your word that if I wanna lay up a firm foundation, I gotta store treasures in heaven. I gotta be good and do generous things and, and trust you first with, with my first and with my best and then live on the rest. God, I believe that you're gonna lead some people today, either in person or online, watching later, to just think about it. Instead of just going with the flow of culture, adjusting ourselves to the flow of culture to the normal way, some of us are gonna put it on pause and think about it, maybe join a life group, maybe go download a podcast or read a book about how to do this, some of us are gonna make some changes that's going to lead to life and peace in so many other areas of our lives. God, we wanna choose you the Jesus way. It's counterintuitive, it's weird. In some ways, it's gonna be hard. Give us courage to do it anyway. I pray these things. God, and I pray for people who've never chosen Jesus, who've never chosen to follow Jesus. God, there are people here in this room, people watching, God, who want to say yes to Jesus, to going his way. God, I believe in you. I believe that you died on a cross for me. God, I want to choose your way. I don't know how to do it yet, but I want to start today by just saying, God, I choose you. I trust you, your way, your goodness, your pathway. Be my Lord, be the forgiver of my sins. God, make me new, make me whole, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody said a big amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap, everybody, one time, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.